This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Caroline Overington, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. Now, you will all know that Carolyn is a regular. She not only speaks to us um, frequently, but she has hosted some of our podcasts as well. Um, And she's a journalist for The Australian and she's a fiction author. And she's also written quite a bit of nonfiction. And today she's talking to us about missing William Terrell. Now, how did this book come about? Well, you know, Cheryl, I'll be upfront with you and say that I really struggled with the decision um, to write it. Whether to write it was was a struggle for me because I knew at the outset, well, a couple of things. Um, William was only three years old when he went missing. Um, and I think that that really, um, that really resonates with people because who hasn't had a small child suddenly go missing from the supermarket or the beach, you know, that feeling of fear that races through you, I think everybody has experienced, except that this has just gone on and on for the for all the families and and all the people who loved him. And I thought, well, you're going to write a book and you're not going to be able to answer that question. Where is William? So what is the purpose of your book? And if you can't find a purpose, if you're just doing this because you think, well, it's true crime and people are interested in true crime, then go away. That's not a reason to write this book. The only reason to write this book is if you believe the case can be solved. If you believe in your heart that the case can be solved, that there were some mistakes made, some missteps, some problems with the investigation, nothing uh, not 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 a scathing attack on people, not not getting out there and being hugely critical of people, especially not the police who tried very hard. But if you think, well, let's put the, all, all the information that we know out there again, let's assemble it in a way that makes sense, let's really explain to people what happened because I think people are confused about what happened and see whether or not that is sufficient to shape the tree and keep people interested in the case keep the pressure on, keep William's name in the news, then you go ahead and you write this book. I want to, how you came to this book, I want you to tell our listeners what you've been working on because you've been attending the hearing, haven't you, most days? Well, you yeah. involved in this case? Well, actually, um, when William first went missing, I was living overseas. I was living in California. I was doing, you know, that kind of glamorous job that I had at the time for the Australian Women's Weekly, you know, interviewing celebrities. And it was so much fun living in Santa Monica. And, and William went missing at the time when I was overseas. And then when I came back, I heard um, a snippet about the story that he was still missing. And I looked at the case and I thought, well, this is very strange because where are the parents? Like, with normally with a missing persons case, 
you have the parents out there saying, you know, can you help us? We need help to find our son. And there was no, there was no family. And I, I thought that's strange. So I went looking into it more. Something in my gut told me that there was something complex and complicated about his family circumstances. It meant that we were not being told the whole truth about what happened. And once I had figured that part of the puzzle out, once I understood that he was in fact in foster care when he went missing, well, where you and I have talked about state care and children in care and foster care and struggling families and um, the kinds of situations in which young parents sometimes get themselves. How many times have you and I talked about that? I've written about it as fiction for years, for 10 mm. years at least. And I, it's always been an interest of mine. I've covered so many um, coronial inquests into the death of children in, in um, sometimes awful circumstances. And I thought, well, I, I, I can't exactly explain why these cases resonate with me, but I do know that the bulk of my body of work concerns really over 20 years concerns missing children and children also who are thought to have died I, I can't explain why but when I see a case like that I I very rarely walk past I, I tend to stop and think well what can we do here well I think you give them a voice well you know it's interesting because if there's one thing that William has had it's been a voice I mean, he has had so many people campaigning for him. I could introduce you to some of the most amazing people that have worked on his case pro bono for years. And I, I don't just mean police. I mean ordinary mums from the community who were so touched by his story and by his plight and so badly want him found. Even in the very earliest days, they were organising walks for Williams and, and fundraisers for Williams and wristbands for Williams and, and they, there were balloons. And then, and then there's, a, there's a public relations company in Sydney, Insight Communications, run by Claire and Alice Collins, two lovely mum and daughter, who have worked on the case for five years, who just have always campaigned for this one not to be forgotten. Because as we know, there are hundreds of missing people. And... And it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes there's even some resentment about William because William's case is so well known. And some people have said to me, well, why does he get the million dollar reward? Why does he get all the attention? What about my loved one? I mean, if you're a family who also has a missing person, you can kind of understand that. But the one thing he has definitely had people working on his behalf and even in a quite coordinated way. So I don't know if it was about giving them a voice, but I do know that I find those stories difficult to walk past. Why is it that the intrigue over him versus the other, you know, many children that are missing? You know, I think it's a couple of things. Firstly, um, he was a really vibrant and wonderful little boy. You can see that in the photograph. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was wearing the red Spider-Man suit when he went missing, I think really struck a chord with people. I mean, who who hasn't got somewhere in their family, in their social circle, a little kid who's just nuts about a superhero, you know, who won't take the costume off? And, and I think people could see, you know, they could imagine William getting up that morning telling his foster mum, I'm going to wear my Spider-Man suit today and refusing to take it off. And, of course, she has said that she tried to counsel him against it. You know, it was a little bit cool that morning. And, and she said, you know, you're going to be cold. And she had to sort of convince him, why don't you put on your Spider-Man 
t-shirt and then put your top on top and then if you have to take your top off because it gets too warm you'll still be all spider-maned out I mean there, there isn't an Australian alive who can't relate to that little boy mm. now without giving too much of the book away because it really is um for those oh, we can give you... it we can give it all away we can no. because <laughs> we of, I mean the, the key really is to find him and that's why I wanted to put as much information in the book because I, I actually believe that someone will read it and some it'll trigger something already people have come to me and said hey have you thought about this and I thought gee I didn't think about that already that's happened well what I want you to tell me is just to tell me the the two groups of you know that talk to me um about the biological parents and uh, the adoptive parents is that what you call them because they're they're foster foster. parents yeah he hadn't been adopted but um I, I can talk about it in 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 ways General that don't I, yeah, yeah in ways that don't identify them because um, William has a sister. In fact, he has a number of siblings, um, and and they deserve their privacy. And so that's mm. why there is no uh, that's why their identities haven't been revealed. People have asked me, is William his real name? It is his real name is William Terrell. Um, and the reason we know his real name is because on the day he went missing all these people, these wonderful people from the community came out searching for him and they had to have a picture and they had to know his name, you know, to call out for him. And that's why we know his name. In normal circumstances, you would never know the name of a foster child because they have their privacy too. So the situation is this. When William was about nine months old, he was taken into state care. He was living with his mama and his dad. His dad did have a job, but they did have some some personal struggles, I guess you'd describe it as. There was some drug use in the family. Um, and there were other issues as well. I mean, whose family hasn't been touched by, by mental illness? There was some, you know, poverty too. Um, and the state decided that William's interests were best served by him going into foster care. Now, he went to stay with a couple who are from a completely different background. I mean, the difference is very, very stark. He went to stay with a couple who live um, on the other side of town in Sydney who had a very beautiful home and and many resources available to them, were very educated, wanted to give him another chance in life. But there was a real... um, I mean, it's a tug of love in a way, isn't it? There was a real tug of love going on because... His biological parents did not believe that he needed to be in state care. They didn't want him to be in foster care. Um, and and yet the state thought that that was the best thing for William. So you've got the two families who, who both love him and both desperately want him found. But it did create a lot of problems, especially for police early on, because when William first went missing, um, the State Department said, well, you can't identify the parents, the biological parents or the foster parents. Because I didn't know. When I first heard the story, I didn't know that he was with foster parents. I mean, does that matter? Um, Now, now that's right. You didn't know. And that's right, because no one was allowed to know. And yes, I think it does make a big difference. The reason it makes a big difference is because for the first two years of the investigation, nobody was allowed to stand up and publicly campaign for William. And that was a real problem because I think the Australian people, generally speaking, are not suspicious people. They are not given to conspiracy theories. They don't necessarily go out and think the worst about people straight away. So when they looked at this case, they were being told, well, here's this little boy. He's gone missing. We can't show you his parents. We can't tell you why. We can't have anyone saying anything about the case at all. We just need you to trust us that he's missing and he needs to be found. Well, the Australian public, I think, in most cases, looked at that and thought, oh, okay, 
well, there's something odd here. Mm. There's something odd going on here. Yeah, we're not, we're, yeah, we're not being told the whole truth. And that for a missing person, for especially for a small boy, is devastating because you need to have the whole community on the side. You don't need people running around with a million different conspiracy theories. I've heard them all. I've heard, oh, you know, his parents must have been in witness protection or his parents must have been this or his biological parents that. Every conceivable rumour and innuendo started to spread across the internet when that doesn't really serve the main aim, which is to find him. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Tell me about the early stages of the case, like when he immediately went missing. Tell me that scenario because I know I've heard it before and you just tell it so well. Tell me your version of it. So he drove, he, he, he was at childcare on, um, on the 11th of September in 2014 and his foster mum and dad came and picked him up and his sister too. Um, now the court has given her a name, we'll call her Lindsay, that's what they call her. So the foster parents came to the childcare centre, they picked them up and they said, hey, guess what, we're going up to visit Nana, which means his foster mum's mum. Um, she lived in Kendall and Kendall is a beautiful little village on the mid-north coast. If you were in Sydney and you drove four hours north up the, up the Pacific Highway, you'd eventually come to Kendall. It's a little bit inland, but you'd eventually come to Kendall. And it's bushy, very leafy, state forest there, also a little cemetery, a little 19th century cemetery. It's actually named after a poet, Henry Kendall, who wrote Bellbirds, which many Australian children learnt at school. Um, she had a big property there and her husband had recently died. So it was she decided the property was too big for her. You know, there was a lot of big trees, big Australian trees on it. The limbs would fall down, you know, that would get slippery and just a big property man to maintain. So they thought, oh, we'll go up there and just, you know, see whether she's got anything she wants us to help get rid of before the property gets handed over. So up they go, they drive up there and, and they arrive quite late and they or the kids go to bed that night. Now, very early the next morning, they wake up and uh, do all the normal things. He puts on his Spider-Man suit. They have a bit of breakfast. Um, and then uh, the foster dad leaves the house. He goes out to make a Skype call, funnily enough. Um, and there's not very good reception, uh, internet reception in Kendall. I can vouch for that because I've been there so many times. And every time you drive into the village, your, your phone drops out. There's not very good internet. So he thought he'd, he'd drive a little bit down the road and make his Skype call for business. And while he was gone, uh, William was on the back deck. Now, sometimes when I say the back deck, I think people think of this really big thing that's, you know, high off the ground. Not at all. It's a small, it's a little small timber area that was on the back of the house. And no at more ground than two, level. Yeah, two steps down and you're on the ground. Right. Not yeah. even. Um, he was out there with Lindsay. They were drawing um, and he was playing a game. 
with his with his foster mum who was sitting out there with her mum. Two of them have got cups of tea in their hands and he's playing a game that he called Daddy Tiger. Now, he hadn't played Daddy Tiger before. It had come out of the blue, but the idea of the game was he would roar, he would roar, and then he would, and then, you know, jump and run. And so he, he jumps off the deck, down, just down those two few steps, jumps off the deck onto the grass, roars at, the, at his foster mum and her mum, and then he runs around the corner of the house. So imagine a blind corner if you mm -hmm. just run around the corner of the house. And then she thinks, hang on, very quiet. Why is it very quiet? It seems way too quiet. So she gets up from where she's been having a cup of tea and she walks around the corner of the house and she just sees nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and because he's wearing that bright red suit, she thinks I should be able to see some red. Where is the red? Where in all this greenery is, is William? And she can't, and she starts calling his name and she goes back to the deck. Well, William, no, nothing. She goes into the house. She starts opening all the cupboards, frantically opening. Like, come on, you, you know, don't play this. This is silly. You know, you're frightening mum. And nothing. And then she goes out into the street. She starts calling his name. She starts running frantically, knocking on neighbours' doors. Have you seen a little boy? Have you seen a little boy? Nothing. Just gone. Absolute. Just gone. Vanished. At what point did she call the police? It was about half an hour after that, after he first went missing, maybe not even that long. We know the call was made shortly before 11am and we know that William went missing at about sometime between quarter past 10 and half past 10. It's, it's not precise because, I mean, if you're sitting outside and you're having a cup of tea, then you notice it's gone quiet, then you do a bit of looking, then you run around the streets. And so how much time passed, they think about, half an hour maybe a bit longer so we know that the um the first call to triple o was shortly before 11 in the morning mm. and the foster mum called and she said I, I can't find him i just can't find him. he was here and i just can't find him because and i put it i put a transcript of the call in the book so you can read it for yourself you know the things that she said then are the things that she still says now because the story hasn't changed it's not like she said I was here and then I was there or whatever the story has always remained the same that we, we were on the back deck he he jumped off and then he was gone do you know because I I mean I think you know and I've got a lot of young children around me I would you do you I do, do but the, my instinct would be oh I'll find him you know where is he yeah or, you know I mean I wouldn't immediately think the worst I just wouldn't because you know children I mean, I, I've walked uh, kids around the park here. I mean, I live by a park and they've walked ahead of me and sometimes I haven't been able to find them and I'm frantic. But you always do, right? Right. And so well, you probably yeah. would have that. Yeah. I mean, of course you always do, except that we know that this does happen. I mean, it's a very rare crime, Cheryl, very, very rare. Yeah. The abduction of a child is, is a once in a decade event in Australia. It just doesn't happen. And so you're quite right. It was not. It's nobody's first instinct to think. No. He's been snatched in such a quiet street. In such a short period of time. Tiny amount of time. And even more confounding, nobody heard anything. Nobody heard a single thing. I researched other missing persons cases. I had to go abroad to cases overseas to do it because there just aren't enough of them in Australia. That's how rare it is. But in almost all the other cases I looked at, there was something, you know, there was when Benjamin Ely went missing in Baltimore, there was a lady standing on the street who saw a car going too fast over a speed bump. They had something. And um, 
when Daniel Morecambe went missing, obviously he was standing at a bus stop. You know, people remembered seeing him at a bus stop. So they had a fair idea of where he was when he last went missing. And with the Beaumont children, the most famous case of all in Australia from South Australia, there are people who, you know, remember seeing them at the beach, that kind of thing. But but with this, there was not, nobody heard a car or, or a, a car boot slam or anything like that or any skidding of wheels or, you know, he didn't scream, he didn't cry out, just nothing. And, and that's what's been so confounding. Tell me how the crime scene has been compromised. Tell me what happened and what led to that. Yeah, it was a really difficult situation because, um, I mean, if you could go back in time, you would do a million things differently. And one thing I was really determined to do with the book was not to um, go around saying, oh, well, they should have done this or they should have done that. I mean, next time we will do it differently. But at the time, the, the most immediate instinct of most of the people, including the police who attended, was he's lost He's lost because he didn't live there. He was visiting and it's a big bushy property and it's surrounded by a state forest. So the instincts of people were, well, he's obviously wandered and now we have to find him quickly because if he wanders into a dam or a swimming pool or gets lost in the bush and we don't find him overnight and the temperature starts to drop, you know, anything could happen. So hundreds of people came looking for him, their Facebook page, post went up and, and police also, you know, mobilised their resources. The SES came and girls came on ponies from the pony club and lo- local surf lifesaving clubs all got themselves organised and came up. But because no crime scene tape went up, because they were looking for a little boy lost as opposed to a little boy taken, you've got hundreds of people tramping through the crime scene. And, and so we don't know. We don't know what was lost, what evidence may have been there that is now lost. It's con- they are now contaminated. And also um, imagine the number of cars that came and went without mm. being without being checked, without the boots being opened. But or... again, I think that would be instinct. You would think that he wandered off and he'd be lost. So if I was there at the time, that would be my instinct just to go searching for him. And you wouldn't have thought for a second that you're actually compromising a crime scene because at that point you never even considered that it was a crime. Well, that's exactly right. And that has proven uh, problematic for police when they've gone about trying to investigate because you can't say for certain that he was taken from the scene in the back of the car. You can't say for certain that he was smuggled out in somebody's bag or, you know, one of those big green wheelie bins or any of the number of ways in which you might move somebody because we just don't know because those things weren't done. And also neighbours were asked to check their own houses. And as you say, quite rightly, that's instinct. You say to all the neighbours, can you go and look in your in your caravan? Can you go and look under your caravan? Can you look in the shed? Can you, can you look in your cubby house? Can you look under your side? Can you look in your pool? And so, of course, they all did. But if you're dealing with a with a potential kidnapping, you can't you can't have people searching their own houses. You know that that's not that's not police protocol. Mm. And I think one of the one of the results of the inquest into William's disappearance, which is ongoing, which is still going, will be that there will be some recommendations um, made that if a child goes missing quite suddenly in circumstances like this that they do establish a cordon, that they do establish a crime scene, that they do put up some tape, that they do check the vehicles as they come and go. Because that's one thing I think that we can, that, you know, if we're going to learn anything from the case, that's one thing we could learn. And then you find him held up in the cupboard reading a book. You know, you know, it, can, you know it can happen. And I, also, I, I feel or like... Or under the bed. You know. Yeah, and I, I feel like people have said to me, oh, you know, the police spent too, many, too much time looking for him. But what what if he had been found, you know, curled up in a wombat hole a week later 
and, and they hadn't searched. Mm-hmm. Then we would be like, oh, why would you assume it was an abduction? No, no, children don't get abducted in Australia. That's mm-hmm. a silly thing to do. You should have concentrated on a big ground search, mm-hmm. covered every centimetre and made sure you, you found it. So they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't. Tell me a little bit about the biological parents. Well, I mean, they're desperate to, to have an answer mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. the thing that I would say about them. I mean, they, they feel um, like they were a little sidelined from the from the whole investigation they were not always aware of what was going on they didn't really feel like they had any rights because William was not in their care when he went missing and he was in the care of the state and so this the state assumes the role of the parent if you will and then of course he has um, foster parents um they've been they've been through the most unimaginable grief and their grief is still raw Um, when when you you speak to his his father his father is you know he's broken absolutely broken by this well do you know I mean I think that there is so much in it for them because they had their child taken away because they were perceived not to be good parents yet their child came into danger when they weren't with them it's a I, I mean I can't even find the words to to imagine what that must be like. And you can imagine the things that they have thought to themselves and said to themselves about that. Um, It's very, very, very difficult. And it's very difficult for his foster parents too because, Mm. you you know, you you could not help but try to understand. I mean, when I, when I imagine what it must be like to live with that day in and day out, I just mm. I can't quite get my head around it. And and for me, I think it becomes it becomes so important to find an answer because even if we don't find William, and I don't rule out that I absolutely don't rule out that we will find him. I think it's entirely possible that we will find him. But for sure we can find out what happened. A hundred percent we can, because we know that he didn't evaporate, Cheryl. Children don't evaporate. Something mm-hmm. happened to him. And whatever it was that happened to him was the work of human beings. Mm-hmm. And we are better than the human beings who did this. We are. As a community, we are better. We are smarter. And we also have right on our side. And when you have right on your side, you're immensely powerful, much more powerful than the side that operates for, on behalf of evil. And so we can solve this crime and when you think about the grief process of the parents, both sets of parents, you know that we have to. We do. Caroline Overington, always interesting, always intriguing, um, really fabulous story. For those of you who want to know more, go out and get the book. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, 
and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.